find a guest speaker on such short notice, so we had to settle for me. That's a joke. I'm just kidding. Good morning, everyone. How's it going? It's good to be with family. I just want to say what an honor and a privilege it is to be able to share the Word of God. During this past week, as I've been in the Word and, and meditating on what it is God wants to, to share, it's just been amazing how He's, he's been giving me revelation and things that bubble up in me. And I have the privilege to be able to speak that on a Sunday morning without worrying about police coming in here and shutting us down because it's an illegal activity. And Jensen was talking this morning about all the things that are going on all over the world. And, and just to be a Christian in other parts of the world is a scary thought. It really, truly is a scary thought. And I just want to say that it is such a privilege and an honor to be able to be here and share the Word of God with you. Um, I wanted to start off with a, a story I heard. Chuck Swindoll actually told this story, and it's a story about a, an old farmer who wanted to impress his hunting buddies and go out and, uh, and show them something radical. So he went and found the most expensive and smartest hunting dog you could possibly find. He invested in this dog and gave it the best training. I mean, he spent thousands. You know the dog whisperer? So how many of you know, have heard of the dog whisperer? Okay, let's just say he took it to the dog whisperer to get it trained up and ready to do the most amazing things that would astound anyone. And after getting him trained up and he thought he was all ready, he went ahead and invited his neighbors and some of his hunting buddies to go out hunting with him. So they were going duck hunting. They got, they got out there, got set up, got in the boat. And uh, after a few hours of patiently waiting, out flew a flock of ducks. They all pulled out their guns, shot the ducks, and ducks were falling out of the sky, just plopping every which way. And he trained this dog up so well, and he's been so excited to see this moment happen. He said, get him, boy. Eagerly, that dog jumped out and walked on water. Walked over and picked up a duck, brought it back to the boat, placed it in the boat. Went back out, grabbed another duck, came back to the boat, dropped it. And back and forth he went, this dog walking on water, grabbing these ducks, putting them in the boat. Eager to, to brag a little bit about his dog, the farmer said to his buddies, he said, so you notice anything uh, unusual about my dog? And they're country boys, you know, so scratching their chin. Come to think of it, yeah, I do. That silly thing don't know how to swim, does he? <laughs> Amazingly enough, I've, I've formed this whole sermon around that joke. Not really. But I did want to share a bit about a familiar story. We're all familiar with Peter. Um, and if you're not, you're going to be before the day's through. But Peter was a man of great faith who walked on water. And um, I, I announced this message today, an overboard Christianity. Overboard Christianity. The true inspiration for this message was really um, a time shortly after Kelly and I had gotten married. I was working for a mortgage company in Mount Pleasant. And um, I, was, I had all the zeal in the world of a new Christian and um, on fire for Christ. I walked in the office and I brought the Holy Ghost with me to work. And there was one guy that worked in the office that shared my faith. And from time to time, we would talk about the Lord. And I recall this one time where there was a, a customer, just for the sake of the story, I'm going to say the customer's name was Bob and the, the mortgage broker's name was Rick. Well, I recall a time when I walked in and Bob was sitting in Rick's cubicle and it was obvious by the level of discussion that was taking place that there had been a long drawn out process to get this man pre-approved for a loan. 
And this is in a time when, when the housing market was booming and everybody's wanting to buy the arms, the adjustable rate mortgages are popular and people are getting taken for everything. And so there was a, a little bit of caution to be taken. But Bob, after getting approved, finally, I heard the, the cheer. Yes, we did it. We're finally approved. The document was presented to Bob by Rick to sign off on this mortgage. And Bob said, you know, I'm really excited about this. I'm really happy to know that I'm pre-approved. But you know what I want to do? I want to seek the Lord um, and pray about this before I actually sign this document. But it's great to know that I'm approved. So thank you. I'll be going now. No, 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 no. Hold on, Rick said. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. You know, I've worked, he's worked really hard. You know, in his mind, I can just picture the things that are going on. And so at this point, being the salesman that he was, he started to present um, some incentives, maybe. You know, he wanted to, to put some things out there to maybe just push, this, push Bob along in his decision-making. And as Bob declined that, he even went a little further to create a sense of urgency. And as a salesman, some of you know that that's something that they try to do is create a sense of urgency. This, this deal won't be here tomorrow. you got to sign today. It's a one-day deal. In fact, you only got a couple hours because the market shifts every day. Bob said, you know, if it's the Lord, it'll still be here tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to pray about this. And so he left. And I was behind, you know, and I had have conversations with Rick before. And Rick was a nice enough guy, a Christian man. But he was flabbergasted by this deal going south as far as he was concerned. Well, our sales manager came in and wanted to hear the details as to why we didn't get this deal closed. The processing took place. The banks approved to fund this, this note. And Bob said, you know, I'm sorry, Rick said, you know, I, I don't get it. We tried. And I mean, this man, I knew I had him pinned. But he's a, he's a Christian guy. He said he wanted to pray about it and all. And I could just see that our sales manager was by no stretch of the imagination a, uh, a Christian. And they're like, what? That's just ridiculous. I know that this guy, I mean, he's, I'm a Christian too, but this guy's overboard. I mean, that's... That's ridiculous. And I'm in the background. I'm hearing this take place. And I tell you, this was a long time ago. And just then, this message sprung up in me. And I've been eager. And I've, I've even spoke of this at times. But I've been eager to, to share this with you all. But that gave me a vivid picture of what it looked like for Peter. I never understood Peter, really. And even when Clay was here a couple weeks ago, he spoke of Peter being the one of the 12 disciples who spoke up when Christ said, Who do they say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And, and Peter responded, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And at that point, Peter received the name change from Simon Peter to Peter. And I don't know, I just had this imagery of Peter as this goody-goody two-shoes. He was the kid that sat in the front of the class, brought the apple to the teacher. He always wants to answer, you know, he's the first one. Ooh, 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 Jesus, I know, I know, I know. And then to see him get out of the boat because, you know, oh, I'm going to walk on water. You guys are going to stay. And I just picture him. I always had this, vi- this, this picture of him that he was... Less than a man. I don't know. He was, he just kind of irritated me. And to see him sink when he was on the water and, and sank a little bit, it almost brought joy to me because he, it's like, you know, you deserve that for being such a show off, you know? But when this instance happened, it revealed to me in an instant what it was that Peter did. And from this simple story that we're going to read here in just a moment, we can, we can gain so much knowledge and information. And I tell you what, as I was mentioning to Laura this morning, the Word of God is a living Word. I don't care what anybody says, but this simple story about Peter walking on water has given me more revelation to what it means to be a man, let alone a man of God, and to walk out my life with fear and trembling and, and so many things from this simple story that we all learned in Sunday school. And at VBS, I mean, they're still doing... I mean, 
And he just continues to speak to me this morning as I'm reading through my notes, just making sure I'd, I had everything ready for Jerry back in the tech booth. The Lord is still speaking to me, still speaking to me. And Laura was praying for me this morning for fresh revelation. Thanks very much. Because I've been getting it all morning long and it's hard to stick to this story line the way I've got it set up. But I want you to know that through all of this, what I've endeavored to do this morning is I want to challenge you guys. Today's message is a challenging message. It's a challenge for you to embrace being a radical disciple. That's the point of today's message. I want, you, I want us to, to deny ourselves and move away from ourselves. Less of us and more of him in all circumstances in our life. This will come very clear as we go through. Matthew 14, 22. If you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, verses 20 through through 33. I'll set this up, but um, some of you may not know this, but when the story of Peter walking on water took place, it was immediately after they had come off the mountaintop where Jesus multiplied the food to the 5,000. They had just come off a mountaintop experience. They had just been exposed to a miraculous happening in their very hands. The disciples' hands. The disciples were the ones passing out the bread and the fishes, and they were just multiplying. And it occurred to me after that that there was 12 baskets left over at the end. One for each of the disciples, a little doggy bag. I thought that was neat. Jesus cared for them too. But they took their doggy bags, and Jesus ordered them to go before him to the Sea of Galilee and get in a boat and, and cross the sea. I would imagine that being fishermen, they knew a lot about weather patterns. And I don't think that this storm that took place that night snuck up on them. I think that they knew what they were getting into. And Jesus certainly, being God, knew what they were, he was sending them out into. But Jesus decided to hang back and pray. There might be a little mystery hanging in that. Um, but immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, Jesus Christ hung behind and sent the 5,000 families away. I mean, he, he was no slacker. I tell you what, that's a lot of work to get those guys out. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went upon the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, on the fourth watch of the night, that's about 3 a.m., so it's dark. It's really dark. The fourth, fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered. And there he goes. There's Peter. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Peter answered them, saying, Lord, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. But he said, Come. And Peter had come down out of the boat, and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith. I could just see him smiling because, I mean, what man of little faith would actually be walking on the water to begin with? So he had lots of faith. But he said, Why did you doubt? You know, I, that's kind of a quiet conversation I think Jesus had between he and Peter. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. We've all heard that story 101 times. But I think today you're going to hear the story a lot differently as we, as we break down the happenings of what took place there. 
I just, I, I picture the imagery. And we go out in the boat from time to time. And if you've ever been in real rough seas, it's, it's pretty scary. And I don't think that they had really big boats that they were going out in. These were fishing boats. You know, there was 11 guys in it, so it wasn't any dinghy. But uh, they don't have an Evinrude motor on the back just kind of cruising them along, you know, and pushing them through. I mean, they're, they're rowing. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning. And Jesus sent them out there. The conversation that was taking place in that boat, I can only imagine what it, what it looked like. But they're scared. And then Jesus shows up as a, as a, as a I mean, apparently it wasn't very recognizable at first glance because they all thought it was a ghost. So they see this thing and they're thinking, oh, Lord, we're dying. We're, we're, we're all gone. But then he reassures them. And, and Peter replies, Lord, if it's you, then you tell me what to do to come out on the water. At that point is where I wanted to start today's message. If you, if you break down the faith that Peter had in this instance, I think that there's a, a quality of faith and trust in, in God that all of us as sincere believers long to emulate. I mean, there's nothing more precious than the faith that walks on water. The faith that would allow you to get out of your comfort zone to go forth in our Christian walk. And then to embrace, to embrace the power of God. Now, I want to I clarify as we go through this that I don't doubt that any of us are Christians here, okay? And I don't want anybody to feel like this is a, a, a rebuke or any type of a, a smack. But this is an encouragement, guys. This is an encouragement. I want you to move forward in Christ. God gives us the power to be radical in our times of storms. We all are going to face certain storms. And I think that the imagery that was presented here is fantastic, especially in a day like today where we're living in, in I just truly believe that the end times are here. The Holy Spirit spoke of revelation and through the book of Revelation that we are going to be experiencing turmoil and contrary winds. And I look around today and look at statistics of people and the weather patterns and the economies and the, the wars and rumors of wars and all that's taking place right now, it, it could not be more tumultuous. I mean, we're in a boat that is, that is going to sink if we, don't, if we don't get serious about the, the truth in God's Word. But the power that He gives us is the power not only to embrace, but to trust Him and then to step out in faith. To step out in faith. That is critical, guys. And we're going to step out in faith into His will. All right, I'm, I'm pretty much giving you my whole sermon in a sentence here. But it's to trust in him, to step out and fully into his will and his purposes so that he can see us through the storms. Now, let's evaluate first. Why, why Peter? Why Peter? You know, there was 11 other, 11 other men of God, disciples, those who followed Jesus Christ. They walked with him. They had just performed a miracle. These guys were no slouches in the faith. These guys were no couch potato Christians, if you will. These were, these were men of God who, who feared the Lord, hung by him, watched miracles be performed. They laid hands. They saw the sick being healed. I mean, these are men of God that are, that are powerful. Well, why is it that Peter, what's so special about Peter? That he was the one that was able to walk on water. That he was the one that was called out. Well, simply put, he asked. Peter asked. None of the other disciples asked. I can't, 
I can't get you guys to a place where you have a desire. I can't feed you guys a passion. Pastor can't feed you guys a passion. The Holy Spirit leans on our desire. You know, we were given a free will. God doesn't mess with our free will. He gives us all of his glory. He reveals to us through revelation who he, who he is and his grace and his mercy and his love that we would long to serve him, long to love him, long to see him and ask to be used. Here am I, Lord, send me. That's what the Lord would ask of us. But there's no other reason that the Lord said, come to Peter, other than that he simply asked. He demonstrated a quality of faith for us. And this is where it comes in. I, I asked the Lord throughout this whole process, Father, why? Why walk on water? What's the point? What is it that, that was so special about that? It was the faith that it took to walk on water. The faith that it took to ask amidst a storm where peril was certain if Jesus didn't step in. But Peter asked, as we evaluate our lives and, and we take this to heart, and I trust that we all are going to take this, this lesson today to heart and we're going to try to do better in these areas. But I've, I've asked myself, Father, there's been times that I've asked for things that I want. And he stopped me right there and said, yes, exactly, son. You've asked for things that you want. But have you been asking my will? And, and I said, Lord, what, what did Peter, Peter didn't... And then it hit me. Yes, he did. He said, Lord, if it is you, then call me. Whoa. Lord, if it is you, then call me. Not only did Peter have the zeal and the, the, the revelation of Christ, but then he asked. And he didn't just ask for something of his own. He asked, Lord, if it is your will, call me. There's so many areas in our life that we're going we're gonna to we're gonna be exposed through our walk to the world that, in a way that they're going to see us as hypocrites. They're going to see us, because we're Christians living in a fallen world, we're going to be exposed on so many levels that we're not going to be able to carry ourselves from day to day. But if we get a revelation of God's will and we ask for His will in our life, and then we, we ask for him to, to call that forth. He can give us that power to get through those times. He's going to give us that power to get through those times. In fact, um, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, if you will put that up. The Lord says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Throw up the next verse that we had. Matthew Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. He cares for us, and he's going to answer our requests as we make them known to him. The next verse is um, Matthew 15, 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Keep going. And behold, behold a woman of the Canaanite uh, came to that region, cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Keep going. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost 
sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Keep going. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Keep going. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And, let, and her daughter was healed that very hour. She was persistent. Now understand, we're going to ask the Lord for things, but he's going to put desires in our heart. And oftentimes when we ask, his timetable is different than our timetable, but our level of faith in asking is going to, is going to show him how serious we are about him. I look at this woman and I think, if she went against the odds. How many people in the church today seek and ask and knock like she did. She kept going back. The disciples, the men of God who were looked up upon, I mean, I see these guys as the leaders in the church, and they're kind of ushering her away. No, no, Jesus, let's, let's, she's a, a nuisance. Let's send her away. She's just, she's, she's wearing on us. And he said, no, I've come to the, to the lost. She persisted in asking over and over and over and over again, and he granted her her desire. I believe truly with everything that's within me that that desire that rose up in her was his desires. It wasn't selfish. It was for her daughter to be healed. When, when Peter sought the Lord and he asked, the Lord granted that to him. And I look at, I look at times when um, We've asked the Lord for things that weren't his will, and we get a revelation, and maybe we, uh, we change heart, and we realize, Father, that wasn't your will. But now I understand, and I, I see what it is you want, so Father, grant me that thing. And his answer hasn't come yet, but we act on it. And we presume upon his answer, and we move forward into something that may not be his timing. It might be his will, but it might not be his timing. And that's another thing that, that Peter did. When he, he saw Jesus, and he asked him, Lord... Let your will be done in, in me. Jesus said, come. And he got out. The order of that is so important. Peter waited on the Lord. He didn't, he didn't have one foot in the water as he was asking Jesus to, to allow him to walk on water, to call him out. He waited on the Lord. The Lord offered for him to come. And when he, when he responded to that in faith, only then was he able to actually walk on water. I've seen so many relationships fail. I've seen careers gone sour, living conditions crumble because people get a revelation or a word from the Lord. They prayed about it. They've done the Christian thing. They've, they've done all these things. But then they presume on his answer and they go forward with something that's not right. And what happens is they get out and before they even have a chance to walk on water, they're sinking. And if we're going to live a life of overboard Christianity, we better be certain that it's God's will. And we've got to be certain that it is his timing. Because when he says, come... And we go, it's an amazing thing how he holds us, how he holds us. And even then, as we sink, if there's an, a situation in our life where we might have misjudged what it was he was saying and we did all those things and had all those precepts in place and we started to sink, we cry out for Jesus and he was there to help. Immediately, it says. There's a lot of cliches that get thrown around in the church and I can understand the root of these things and they all have a biblical core but oftentimes they get misstrewn uh, throughout the generations. There's one that, that I've always, when I started coming to Legacy, is when I heard it was blab it and grab it, or another is name it and claim it. These are those things where we speak, speak those things that aren't as though they were, and we, we try to speak into existence these things that are, that are just wonderful and, and, and 
desirable in the light of something that doesn't look good. And we fall into, we fall into these traps because this is not a microwave uh, situation. Our faith walk is not something where we just get to go around slinging our power as Christians, saying, oh, I'm just going to cause this thing to happen because I'm a, I'm a child of the Most High and I have the opportunity to speak those things that be not as though they were and they just happen because I'm all that in a bag of chips. That's not the way the kingdom works. Christ is in control. I assure you, when Peter went fishing the next time, he needed a boat. He wasn't walking out there on water with his little fishing rod out there casting around. That's not how the power worked. The power was granted to him when Jesus Christ said, okay, and the faith was at work. But then when that was over, it was over. It's not like we have this power as Christians, as mortal human beings, to go around and just name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and, and make it sound so simple and easy. And that really you don't need to do anything except have, a, have a, just enough faith to be bold enough to speak it in public. That's not it at all. The power of God comes through the moving of His Holy Spirit and that through the obedience that, that we um, express in Him. And that leads to my next point here, which is trust. If we have obedience and trust in the Lord and what He can do and what His Word says that He can do, only then are we going to be able to perform miracles. When Christ said, come, Peter put his trust in God and he climbed out of the boat. There's a lot of Christians who get to the place of waiting on the Lord and they wait on the Lord and they wait on the Lord and they never trust. They, they just continue to wait and wait and wait. The image that came forth even this morning um, was, you've, everybody's seen that game that, that you'll do at a weekends where everybody at the church goes out and they'll do a trust game where you fall back and let people catch you and it's just a, it's the trust game. Has anybody seen the Geico commercial? Where, okay, I just think that's funny. But the fact is, I even, I even thought about having two volunteers come up here today, but it could have been a disaster. I was going to let, say, Alex and, and Alan come up here and I just, I, I believe that Alan can catch Alex, so I put them side by side and then maybe get one of the kids out of the nursery and bring Jason up here and say, Jason, you're going to fall and let, let little Joey catch you. I don't think Jason would have much faith in that. I don't think he'd see enough there to say, I don't, I don't have enough faith. And I'd, I'd ask him to be obedient. And I'd stand up in the front and say, Alex, fall back. Just have faith. Fall back. Close your eyes and just let it all hang out. Jason, do the same. I'd venture to guess that Jason is not going to fall. But I didn't... I, I don't know, Jason's pretty obedient, so I didn't want to put him up here today and have something happen. But the fact is, trust and obedience go hand in hand. If you trust the Lord, if you trust His Word, only then are you going to be able to be obedient. And the transverse is also true, is if you don't trust me, you're not going to be obedient. So when it comes to knowing the Lord, enough to ask His will, to wait on his timing, all of that is great. But when it comes time where he says, go, are you going to be willing to lay down your life, potentially knock all the air out of you, to follow him, to be obedient to him? His grace is sufficient. And I, I, I've watched this video just this past Wednesday night. Louis Giglio, we showed the youth, and it was talking about the grace of God. I never had a revelation like I got that night of the grace of God. His grace is so sufficient 
it, his, the motivation of his love is so pure that if we got a revelation of his grace, it would be so much easier to trust him. And before you go forward just trying to gain more head knowledge and understanding of God's word through the text, which that, that's valid, I just pray that we get a revelation of his grace here this morning. His grace is sufficient to carry us through all the hard times. His grace is what will empower us to take that step if we understand that he loves us and he cares for us in, in a way that no, no earthly parent could. And for those earthly parents that are in here today, I'm one and I'm learning what it means to love like I've never loved before. And to, to understand that my Father in heaven loves me so much more than that. It is becoming so abundantly clear to me what his grace is. And the expectation that I have on my children is just that to do my will because my will is in their best interest. I have no selfish ambition or desire through my asking Bella not to walk in the middle of the street. And if you don't know that Bella is my daughter. But there's a purity there. And the Father's will, the Father's heart, His grace is sufficient. His heart is pure. And if we just get a revelation of that, it'll be so easy to be obedient and trust in Him. Peter had a, Peter had a desire. He had a, he, you can see that throughout his whole life as a Christian. But especially in those instances where I coined Peter to be a bit of a suck-up was that he had a desire to please the Lord. He, had, he, he was zealous. He was biting at the bits for the opportunity to jump in front of the Lord and say, here I am, here I am, I'll, I'll tell you. you know, and he wanted to show up the other disciples to, to lead them to a place of, of faith and to lead them to a place that, that showed God what it meant to be a, a, an overboard Christian. I want us to get to a place, guys, where we cer we're certainly going to be in the boat. You have to understand there, there's, a, there's a boat out there and it was sent out by God. Eleven disciples are sitting in the boat. Then they were ordered by God to get in this boat. It wasn't a sinful thing. Being in the boat wasn't a sinful thing. But being outside, that separates. There's, there's a whole nother level of disciple. So those eleven and the one. There's just a whole nother level that takes place there. And this was the inspiration. And I have to get away from my notes because it's just hindering me. The fact is that there is, there, is a, there is a place for us in the kingdom and on the earth as his will be done, his kingdom come. We know that, that prayer. When we pray his will be done on this earth, it'll, it'll cause us to look at circumstances. It'll cause us to look at our lives and look at those, those obstacles in our lives and see them as mere circumstances and nothing more. We cannot dwell on the, our abilities. We cannot dwell on, on who we are. We're simply dust. Guys, we're just dust. Ladies, you're a rib. I mean, how much can a rib do? We, in, our, in and of ourselves, do not have what it takes, number one, to please God, number two, to do His will, number three, certainly to perform miracles. We cannot do that in, in and of ourselves. We do not encompass that. People have tried for centuries through black magic, through, through Ouija boards, through all of this other paranormal stuff, to try to, to kindle the very power that is given to us through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. The devil cannot create anything. He is not the master of anything. All he can do is counterfeit that which God has already instituted in this earth and in the spiritual realm. Peter had a zeal 
that opened up that box. He had, he had a passion for Christ that when all the other 11, and I just picture him again, when, when Clay said that he was the only one that answered, he got the revelation because he wanted it. He wanted a revelation. He wanted to know. I know all of those people are saying this about you, Father. I know, I know, I know. But I, I don't believe that. I believe that you are the Son of God. You are, you are the Most High. You are my answer. You are the one. And on that, Christ is building his church. On that revelation, on that faith, on that zeal. Peter, that same disciple, is the one who's out walking on water. He's living a life supernatural in a situation that is just... Three o'clock in the morning, guys, on the sea that is is ready to take the boat out. All the disciples are freaking out. And Peter has the wherewithal to see Christ and to be obedient to him and walk out in the middle of all of that. There's something in him that we need. And that the catalyst to all of those other points that I'm bringing forth is zeal. We've got to have that passion. I remember what it was like when I first came through Encounter here at Legacy Church and I got a revelation of the cross. I understood what it meant for God to be so gracious and merciful that he laid his life down on this cross. What a bloody mess it was. And when I got that revelation, it it just inspired in me something that said, Lord, you cared for me. Your grace paved the way for me to get back to my father. Look at what you did for me. And that, that zeal came forth. And that caused me to, guys, I have seen so much supernatural activity in my own personal family from my parents to me marrying Kelly Pruitt. I don't even understand to this day why she allowed that. But the fact is, the Lord's favor came upon me and it wasn't because of who I am. I am despicable in my own, in my own self. And before I got saved and started changing my ways, I was truly despicable. Had not, her, her and Levy knew who I was before. I don't think they would have said yes when I asked them to marry their daughter. But the fact is that God's grace is sufficient for me to live the life that I now live. Who would have thought that I would be up here ministering the Word of God to His children? I look up to so many of you, but yet I'm, I'm granted the opportunity to stand up here. His, his grace is amazing, but it was the zeal that was birthed in me at the time that I got a revelation of who He was and my asking, seeking, knocking. God's all of these things have come, and all of you can, uh, I'm, cer- I'm certain, can attest to a lot of these points in, in certain aspects of your lives. But in the area of, of giving, that's one that I have seen the most supernatural activity happening. Because for me, you know, I didn't grow up in a rich home. Um, we were very frugal. The Tightwad Gazette was the, uh, the, the bathroom literature. I'm not, I'm not kidding. The Tightwad Gazette. We learned many, many a, a trick through that. But to relinquish finance to me into the kingdom was something that was, it, it, it took a level of understanding and revelation. But what happened is that's, and this is how I've, I've learned, come to see it. When we live in our own economy, we're in the boat. You know, there's certain things that we can do. And, you know, it's not sinful to have 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, CDs, real estate accounts, real estate investments, maybe buying and selling a couple of homes, maybe flipping cars, whatever it is that you guys do. There's nothing sin. That's in the boat, okay? That's, that's certainly in the boat. But when we transfer our kingdom, our economy outside of the boat into a kingdom economy, miracles happen. Things happen when we transfer that out. When we transfer our faith, we've gone to the doctors. Doctors are fine. Medication is fine. Guys, I'm not trying to get you guys to, to walk out of here thinking that we don't need any of that. All we need to do is pray God's will and His will be done, and we don't need ibuprofen medicine or anything like that. 
But the truth is, we've got to learn to get our lives outside of this box. When I think of what Bob did that day in the mortgage office, it blows me away that not only was he a Christian, but that he was bold enough to risk. Now, he was a family man as well. He had a family to think of. And most people, and I saw a lot of this, most people would have jumped at that opportunity. They were biting at the bits, and just as soon as they got authorized to buy that home, the American dream, sign me up. To watch him be so bold as to not only say, you know what, I'm going to hold off on this, and I'll be back next week and we'll talk about it. I'll be back tomorrow, we'll talk about it. No. I want to seek the Lord's will on this. I'm going to go home and pray about this. He was saying to the mortgage lender, I'm going to take this issue and lay it outside the boat and see if it floats. He was taking the, the natural. Buying a house is not sinful, guys. And if you guys go in to buy a home and, and they present you with this, and I'm not saying that everybody should stop and say, no, thank you. I heard a message this past Sunday. I'm not going to buy the house because I know that God's going to make this thing float. That's not what I'm getting at. But this man did. And he was ridiculed by another brother in Christ. Another Christian who was in the boat saw him get out to walk on water and said, what a silly man. It, it inconvenienced this Christian man to see that take place. It inconvenienced him, so therefore he was going to talk about it. And he had to give a, an account for why he didn't close the deal. So he went ahead and threw his brother under the bus. Oh, he's just a wacko. One of those Jesus freaks. Didn't want to do it because, you know, he's just crazy. Praise God, I'm crazy too. Crazy for the Lord. And let us, let us be bold enough to proclaim that. Let us not stand in the eyes of men and, and to try to give excuses for our faith but just simply boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And however you choose to do that, in whatever circumstance, you're going to have divine interruptions in your near future. You're going to have opportunities for things to take place. And I just encourage each and every one of you today to get out of the boat, to learn to embrace what it means to be a radical disciple. There's a lot of reasons that many Christians never walk on water. You can go ahead and pick up the slides. I don't even know if you're following me anymore because I'm... Okay, number one... Um, is prayerlessness. I know Peter to be a man of prayer. I know him to be one who communed with the Father directly. He sought the Lord's will. He asked questions. There's no point in asking a question if you're not expecting a response. I might take that back because there are some people who ask for the sake of saying that they asked and they still do what they want to do anyway. But the fact is, when we are in prayer, we are petitioning the Lord to reveal to us His will. And in doing that, our lives can come together. But so many Christians never learn to walk on water because of prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. I believe that um, if we'll take a moment in our life, and I know in our house, you know, we'll, we'll watch a few hours of TV a week, and um, I, I know that in every American household, there are, is time wasted. Wasted, wasted, wasted. But it's amazing how we have time to do those extracurricular things, extracurricular, how does that go? Extracurricular things that we would love to do, even though our job is so demanding and we're, we're, we're so pressed. I just didn't have time to pray this week. I didn't have time to, to do this thing. Martin Luther said it well when he said, you know, my day is so slammed today. I think I'm going to have to take an extra, extra hour in prayer. I thought, wow, what a paradigm shift. That's pretty cool. Thank you, Martin. Next is apathy. And I know that this is an epidemic in our youth today. We have an apathetic generation. 
They don't know what it means to be on fire for the Lord. They love the concerts. They love the rocking out. They love the cool t-shirts, the bumper stickers. They're into all that, but they're apathetic when it comes to their own spiritual walk. I believe that um, among those other 11, that I don't doubt that they all wanted to walk on water. And once Peter did it, they probably thought, oh man, I wish I would have thought of that. But the only difference that distinguishes those other 11 from Peter was the fact that he, wasn't, he, he didn't hesitate. He, he had a fire in him that when the opportunity came, he jumped on it. We are missing so many opportunities to walk on water, guys, to step out of the boat and to just be radical disciples for Christ. We're missing these opportunities because of our apathy, because of our lack of prayer, because of our, our, our lack of orders from the Master. We need to get into prayer. We need to be on fire for the Lord. And then next, we need to be willing. We truly need to be willing. It's great to, to be on fire. And I've seen a lot of people that will stand up in the front. I mean, they'll get right up here and cry all over the altar. And, oh, you know, I'm all for the Lord. And, but come vertical. Maybe we have a vertical service on Friday night. I didn't want to come. I, yeah, I, do, I did church twice already this week. I mean, come on. How much more do you want from me? I'm not, I mean, I've got life. You know, I've got things I need to do. Granted. But there's going to come a time when all those things in our life are stripped away. And I don't believe it's too, too far away. And all those things we gave our time to, we gave our energy to, we gave our passion for are no longer there. And all we have is us and the Lord and the things of God. And those muscles aren't going to be toned because of our lack of willingness when we could. And I want to encourage you guys. Look for opportunities. Pray that the Lord present you with divine interruptions. And what I say, what I mean by a divine interruption is that thing that says, you know what? I know you've got a busy day today, but I'm putting one of my sheep in your path that needs tending to tend, but you're busy and you've got things going on. Are you going to take the time to embrace that interruption and say, Lord, I, I don't have the time for this. He says, I know I've got more time than you need. I know just tend to my sheep. Are we going to have faith enough to say, you know what, Lord, oh, this time thing, this clock exists in the boat. Let me step out here for a minute in this, in these waves of this person's life, in this night, this, this gross darkness. Let me step out here to tend to your sheep. Father, I know that you're going to with, withhold me. You're going to hold me. And if I don't have what it takes, Lord, if, if I've gone wrong somewhere in this process and I start to sink, you're going to raise me up. You're going to raise me up from this situation. And then many never even get an opportunity to get started simply because of fear. Fear is, fear is the last thing, and we're going to conclude after this, but fear is Satan's tool, and I don't mean to give him any spotlight today, but I just want you to realize that fear of man is a tool that he uses to thwart the fear of God. Fear, oh, it's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a double-edged sword. You've got to get a, a grip on what it means to fear properly. Um, the absence of fear is not what I'm, I'm going for. But I, I petition you right now to fear the Lord so much so that it causes you to overlook what man can do. I heard a story once while we were away at Ski Invasion. It really touched me. Um, it's a long story. I won't go into it all. But Matt Pitt told a story of... Um, an underground worship session that got invaded by the military police and all were threatened to be killed and uh, commanded to evacuate. And the only ones that stayed 
were a woman and her two teenage children, Matt Pitt, and the worship leader. And this was a worship set that they were down there for. After everyone evacuated, he, they, he, they were told to deny their Christ as they were on the way out. And they all did, except for these that stayed. They were willing to give their lives. And as soon as everybody was gone, the military police shut the door behind them, took off their gear. And as it turns out, they were all Christians. They said, now we can worship. Now we can worship. All the people fled for the fear of what that military, that M16 was going to do to them. They all fled because they were at the point of an M16 and they scared what that man was going to do to them. So they, they didn't fear God. They were willing to give, their, give up their eternity with him. Cutting off your nose to spite your face. Everything that the, the Bible teaches is applicable in our lives. The scripture, as it says, it's given for instruction, admonition, and our growth, ultimately, in righteousness. This Peter story is, is no different. The Lord has been revealing some things to me throughout this teaching. It just doesn't stop. This morning, he just was showing more things. And, you know, pastor specifically instructed me to write down my sermon verbatim. And I did. And, I, and the Holy Spirit just, he wants to show me things as we're live. But I just want to encourage you guys to, to, to stay in the boat until Christ tells you to get out. Until the Holy Spirit puts it on you to get out. Faith asks permission. So we need to seek God's will and not our own. And we've got to wait for his answer. We've got to wait for his answer. And we've got to put our trust in God and get out of the boat when he tells us to. But only as he leads Biblical faith, true faith is only obedient to God. Faith trusts God for his provision and grace to see us through. And he'll, he will, he'll firm up that water beneath your feet. Faith doesn't insist on a roadmap first to have it all spelled out before. We don't need to know where God is going. We just need to know that he'll, he'll hold us up. That should be enough. Going overboard begins with discipleship. I thought this to be ironic, but going overboard starts with two ships. The first being discipleship. The next being relationship with Christ. Peter didn't ask for just anything. He didn't ask for the miracle to walk on water. He asked to come out to him. Christ was the goal, not the miracle. Christ was the goal, not the miracle. Going overboard isn't seeking for miracles, but it desires Christ above all, to be with him and to do his will. Seek first the kingdom of righteousness. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Guys, we want to put him first in all things. We want to get to a place where we're not, we're not giving to get. We're not doing good deeds to build up our morale um, meter. When we close today, there's a song that we want to play. And I just want to encourage you guys that all of this radical discipleship, all of this getting, living outside of the boat, while it, yeah, it's going to mess with your earthly life. It is. I'll tell you right now, it could cause some of us to be 
to be martyred. They could. I'm not going to sugarcoat this thing and tell you that, you know, you go out there and act like a, a good little Christian boy and girl and you're not going to end up being a punching bag. This world hates us. This world hates Christ. This world seeks not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I can assure you, if there's one thing that I know, is that all of the ridicule, all of the persecution, all of the martyrdom, all of these things that couldn't and, and will happen to Christians in this earth, and do happen to Christians in this earth, that it's all worth it. It is all worth it to deny ourselves to follow Christ. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that if you stay in the boat, you're going to hell, because that's not the case. There's a, there's a comfortable place in Christianity. There absolutely is. But my call for you today is to step out of that comfort zone, to step out of that place that you call um, your faith and step out into biblical faith. Step out into that thing that Christ speaks of. We have been so Americanized in the, in the church today that we've lost what it means to be faithful. We've lost what it means to wait on, on the Lord. We've lost what it means to receive revelation. There's so much that we can learn from this simple story. So much that we can learn from this simple story. And Christ didn't put it in there. God didn't put it in there. And the Holy Spirit didn't put it in there for us to say, oh, that's cool. What's cool is that it's, a, it's, it's an awesome metaphor for us to live by.